So, Patty, mm -hmm. today's show is all about how we make decisions. Yes. And this got me thinking about how other people make decisions because I don't think my way is very creative. Yeah, you know, I don't. I mean, mine probably aren't either. I think they're pretty straightforward. You know, I make lists or mm -hmm. talk with friends and family. Yeah, me too. Or like, I close my eyes and run downhill, screaming with my arms flailing and hope for the best. You know, that way the choice kind of chooses you, you know? <laughs> okay, well, never done that. Okay. Um, I basically just uh -huh. spend a lot of time thinking about my choices. Right. And like you, maybe I'll talk to someone. Mm -hmm. I do know a person who consults a psychic for big life oh decisions. God. And I know someone else who prays to his ancestors for guidance. Oh, that's cool. And then out of curiosity, I started down this internet rabbit hole of interesting ways other people have made decisions. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> okay, what did you find? Oh, boy. Okay, so a big thing uh -huh. with the internet these days is crowdsourcing the problem. Right. So, like, some people who live stream their lives on the platform Twitch, mm -hmm. they let viewers vote on things. So, there was this one guy I found who let viewers instruct him to break up with this girl he really liked. That is bogus. Um, although, he really, like, later he got back with her and lost some of his audience because of that. But he tried mm -hmm. to hide it for a while. Okay. Um, there's also this guy who became famous a few years ago. Did you ever hear of this? Like, he sold shares of himself. What? And let shareholders make all of his decisions, what? including whether to get a vasectomy. Are you serious? So, what? Yeah, like all, oh like God. every decision. Yeah. Yeah. So like he sold shares of himself. Like, okay, you get my elbow, you get my nipple. No, like, it was grandma, just like you, you know, like I am making available this many shares, and this is the price. And, you know, you can buy this many shares, and more shares gives you more voting power. It was like basically, Ew. yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> like I said, rabbit hole. Yeah. But basically, what I found just confirmed that decision-making can be hard. Uh -huh. Like, we already knew that. But people can get super creative about how they decide to tackle it. Oh, you know, okay. So, I know about this this internet thingy, too. And it can help make decisions. Okay, uh, why did you use that weird voice? Well, okay, it's called easydecisionmaker.com. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it sounds a little hokey like you can plug in a question bop a button and this little doohickey picks an outcome for you you can even create answer options and let it pick from those so I think that maybe we should do this <laughs> right oh, now oh <laughs> gosh this is gonna be ridiculous yes yes it is but trust the process Elizabeth okay here we go easy decision maker oh there it is <laughs> It just auto-filled, so clearly uh, you're using this a lot. No, this is the first time I've ever used it before in my whole life. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, should I quit safety third to join a dance school like the plot of Step Up? <laughs> okay, ready? Uh -huh. Answer. Da, 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 da. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Yes! <laughs> I'm coming for you, Channing Tatum. I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, you go, you go, you go. Uh, all right, fine. <laughs> Give me the computer. Let's okay. see, okay. Okay, go. Where are you? How many tasers is too many? What are you even yeah. talking right, about? <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay, this is flawed. It just says yes. <laughs> That's the best answer ever. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Give it back. Give it back. Give it back. Okay. Right here. Should I? I just spelled should wrong. Should I uh, uh, shave my mustache? Yes. And shush. <laughs> and mail the trimming oh, no. to Elizabeth. I saw that this coming. This is so much fun. No. Come on, 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 come on. Yes! <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> okay, well, this was clearly a bad idea. It's not helping at all. And I think we should just start today's episode. ventilating. This is going to get us in a bad place really quick. Oh, my God. I'm sweating. I'm sweating with so much fun right now. Okay. <clears throat> Pals, today we're investigating what happens when we hit a fork in the road. How we act when presented with a choice. We're talking with Anne Gallian, mountain bike badass, PhD, and analytical scientist. Dr. Downhill, if you will. Anne has this idea that goes against what I think we're taught about decision making. I believe in making decisions at race pace. Anne even said that super quick. But what exactly does that mean? How does speed help us make decisions? Hold on to your handlebars, friends. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. I went to New Zealand to study abroad for a semester, and I took a mountain bike with me, just kind of a cheaper, low-level mountain bike for transportation, because I wasn't planning on renting a, a car. The school that I went to, the University of Otago, they have uh, something called clubs and society, so all the students can go and join clubs. Like, I mean, anything from cooking club to hiking club to stargazing club, I mean, you name it, they had it. Uh -huh. So. All of the exchange students went and joined the hiking club because they wanted to tour around the country and see cool spots. Well, I didn't go to New Zealand to hang out with other Americans. So I was like, well, I have a mountain bike. I might as well join the mountain biking club. <laughs> so I started, you know, they drug me all over the country, took me on all these crazy trails that were way over my head. And at some point, they hosted a skills clinic held by the current national downhill champion, and only two of us women showed up, so I ended up basically getting a private lesson, and I was, like, totally hooked. It was so fun. Several of the folks in the club were downhillers, and I just thought they were so cool. So I said, well, I guess I'm going to race downhill. And I went back to the States, and I got a piece of shit bike off of Craigslist for, like, 1500 bucks. That's a pretty and expensive piece of shit. <laughs> for a bike, yeah. Well, it was pushing the limits of... of a bike holding together. And um, I was just showing up to the local mountain bike hill and hucking myself down the trails and crashing a lot until I kind of figured it out. What's the best part? Riding really fast and being scared. <laughs> I think that's my favorite part. <laughs> um, I just. Well, that was my, my next question was, what's the scariest part? And you're like, well, the, that's, the, there is no scary part. I love being scared. Yeah, I really like the speed. I mean, I, 
the stereotypical adrenaline junkie here. So, you know, that's kind of how I decompress as I go out and kind of give myself a, a scare every once in a while. But I just really like going fast and I like being outside. You know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to be able to kind of mitigate the fear and channel it into something that's focused and it's kind of like performing under pressure, so to speak. Well, the fear can be that pressure. You know, it really makes you pay attention and you have to be very present and mindful about what's right in front of you. And you can't afford to dwell on, you know, a mistake you may have made five seconds ago. You, you can't worry about a tree that's 10 feet to your right because there's one two feet to your left instead. So I think I like the clarity that it kind of brings my brain, which tends to go in a million directions otherwise. When Anne got back to her college in Virginia, where she was already on track for a career in science, she found the time to enter her first downhill race. It was at Snowshoe Mountain Bike Park in West Virginia. For that first race, Anne entered the beginner class. She won it. So the next race, she entered the intermediate class, and she won that too. And by the end of the year, her first year racing, mind you, Anne was competing in the pro class. Wow. Just wow. So when I started, it was kind of low-key. And racing, quote, professionally, take that with a grain of salt. We're talking a pretty small group of folks on the East Coast at the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until like 2013 that I started racing more of a national series that, you know, I started getting some sponsorship support. And I think that's kind of where it really started taking off. In 2013, I raced a Pro GRT series, which is the U.S. National Downhill Series. And I managed to win that, which was pretty cool, uh, and got asked to be on the U.S. Worlds team. Also cool. However, there wasn't really any support for that. Um, so the governing body for mountain biking at the time, or just USA Cycling in general, they said, we'll give you 250 bucks to get to South Africa. What? And I was like, well, really? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> I'm a student. <laughs> so I didn't end up going to world champs that year. And I just kind of kept racing on the national circuit. Then I got hit with a few injuries. So that was kind of like the peak of my downhill career, I guess, was 2013. After that, I got hit with a couple injuries, ended up taking almost nine months off the bike. I tore some ligaments in my thumb and uh, finished up my PhD. That's when I made the switch to enduro. And I think that's really where my mountain biking career took off. For those who don't know, downhill mountain biking is pretty much just what it sounds like. Flying down steep, techie terrain on a big bike that has a ton of suspension. The races are super fast, like only a few minutes typically. And enduro mountain biking is a combination of cross-country and downhill on a smaller, less burly bike. Enduro races have multiple stages, the uphill portions aren't timed, and they can be like 20 or 40 miles long. 2015, I guess, I start racing enduro. My downhill background serves me well. Um, a lot of people in enduro came from cross-country, so they had the fitness dialed, but the technical skills weren't quite as uh, developed. It's important to point out that while Anne was training and competing at this high-end professional level from 2009 to 2017, 
She was simultaneously completing her PhD and beginning her career in analytical science. This is like something out of a Goldarn comic book. This is superhero stuff, people. Was there a hook with science that was similar with biking? Yeah, I think so. You know, my brain's kind of been, uh, you know, my brain functions on logic. And it's a very analytical, I have a very analytical thought process to pretty much everything. And so it was, it's a natural fit for me, science. It's always been my favorite subject in school. You know, my worst subject was history. Like you could not get me through a history class. I'm not good at memorizing things at all. Like I'm terrible at memorizing things. So for me, science and chemistry in particular was more about solving puzzles. It's all about solving puzzles. You know, you do your research, you obtain data, you analyze the data and you solve a problem. And so, I mean, that's, that's a lot like mountain biking, right? I mean, you have to look at a trail and you have to solve the problem of the trail. How do you get from point A to point B the, in the fastest, yet safest, yet most fun way possible? Mountain biking really focuses my brain and science really challenges my brain. And the two of them, I think, are essential for my personal well-being. I don't do so well if I don't have one or the other for long periods of time. And I've tried both, right? Like I, I took a summer off of racing to kind of finish my PhD and that kind of sucked because, you know, I was going stir crazy. And then mm-hmm. I actually took a summer uh, and did part-time postdoc work uh, to try to just race and get as far as I could. But that kind of drove me crazy too, because I felt like, you know, I wasn't really accomplishing anything intellectually at the time, or at least not as much as I could be. So for me, the balance of the two is essential. In 2017, after just two years of racing enduro professionally, Anne was asked to join the Yeti Cycles factory team. She toured the country, raced internationally, and Yeti sponsored everything. Even with the balancing act of a full-time job and full-time training and competition, Anne was crushing the pro circuit. Anne says her top 10 finish at an Enduro World Series race in Aspen, Colorado, really signified her making it in the mountain bike world. But it was also the end of her pro career. Because it was after that that... Uh, job offer came on the table for science and I had to make the call, the call, the dreaded call. Coming up after the break, Anne uses race pace to make the most difficult decision in her life. So I got this job offer and the data on the table were I either race and I start racing internationally with good support or I take a dream job. Like those, I feel like that was most of the available data at the time, and I made a decision based on that. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be able to solve real-world problems regularly. You know what I mean? Like not one that took 10 years, um, whether it's on a day basis, a week basis, month, whatever. But I just wanted the pace to speed up, and I wanted to focus more on real-world problem solving rather than abstract research type thing. Can you remember that, like, like how you made that decision on that specific day? It happened uh, over about a, a month, I'd say. It took me about a month for that one. And I was still racing. And, you know, I was talking to the CEO of this company. I came out and visited his staff to learn a little bit about more about consulting. I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. 
and a lot of time weighing my options. It wasn't the fastest decision I've ever made, but it was a decisive one. And once I made it, that was it. Like, that was it. I had to just accept it because I made the decision and I wasn't going to get any more information. I, <laughs> you know, like I had it all. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that was an easy decision, right? I mean, it was easy in the sense that I knew the right call. I knew the right call to make, but like making the decision was still hard. It's not easy, even if I knew the right choice. <laughs> and now I'm working in a consulting firm and it's pretty rad and Every single day I get to solve new problems and it's really fun. What stands out to me about this decision is that it's not like Anne had peaked in mountain biking. It's just the opposite. She was a rising star and only getting better. So what's the method to letting go of something you're great at, something you love, without hesitation, without regret? A lot of people have criticized that decision. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, you're only young once, you only have this chance to race bikes. But in a race, you make a decision, you pick a line, maybe it's a bad one. You know, maybe you make a mistake, but you have to let it go, like, instantly, right? Because otherwise the rest of your race run will suffer because you're not focused on what you're doing. I just have to make a decision in the moment based on the available information I have at the time. So that's what I did. Yeah. Race pace is a pretty extreme example where you have a split second to make a decision Sometimes it's coming at you slow, you know, a big life decision. You've got a slow input of data, slow input of information. So your decision-making is relative to that input speed. So for me, it, it didn't necessarily have to be split-second decision, but it had to be decisive. And so at the time and now, I mean, the decision was science came first, and given all the information at the table, I made my decision and I moved on. That was it. So now I'm kind of semi-retired, washed up pro mountain biker <laughs> and professional scientist. <laughs> it's the coolest business card ever. It is. It's a really long title, though. So my business yeah. card is a funny shape. Yeah, it's more of a scroll, really. Yeah. So I understand what Anne is saying here. Not chewing on tiny decisions, going with your instinct and moving on to the next thing. But I kept wondering about what happens when you're faced with a choice and make a major bad decision. Like, for example, getting into a fight in your 20s by yourself with three big angry dudes. Speaking from experience, are we? Well, the broken ankle back then and the current scar on my face says yes. Yes, I am. <sighs> Major bad decisions lead to injuries in that sport. Right. The, so Hospital bills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely hospital bills. Yeah. I mean, the stupid tiny thumb injury that took me out for an entire season, that was a dumb mistake. And What happened there? So one of my other rules is a 30-second rule, and I will only look at something for 30 seconds before making the decision that moment whether to hit it or come back later. Because, you know, you can overthink anything. And oh, yeah. My, my science brain will overthink everything. So I'm in Platicale, New York, which is a super technical um, mountain to race on. And there's this jump that I'm not super comfortable at. I'm, you know, I don't really know how to jump all that well at the time. Uh -huh. And I sat there and stared at it for probably 20 minutes. It was awful. Like, Yikes. My brain was going 
in all directions. I wasn't confident. I was I was just losing steam real quick, you know, overthinking everything. And I knew I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't try yeah. it because I didn't know what I was doing. And I did it anyway, and I screwed up and couldn't ride a bike for nine months. So, <laughs> so that's, when you, you say know, you screwed up, what does that look like? Oh, that looks like hitting a jump and coming up short and going over the bars and tearing all the tendons in my thumb. Oh, That's okay. what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you go off this jump and you, you, what, like, do you knuckle it completely? Oh, yeah. It was awful. Yeah, totally not even close to clearing. Full oh. 50-50 case. Did, yeah. you, did you know, like, in the air you were like, oh, Oh, absolutely. Fuck. I have made a poor choice, and now... I knew as soon as I took off. Oh. <laughs> I mean, at least that one didn't hurt that much. And you were, what, lying on the dirt, and you, like, are holding your hand, or what happened? Oh, no, I jumped back up and rode down in the pits, because it was at the end of the stage, so I didn't, didn't really have to do anything. So I get back to the pits, and I distinctly remember reaching for my tire to check my air pressure... It's weird the things you remember. I reached to check my air pressure and I squeezed and I wasn't looking at it. And I remember thinking, crap, I have a flat tire because I felt give. But it wasn't my tire giving. It was my thumb. Ew. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was my thumb, like, drooping. I don't know how to describe it. It's pretty gross. But, yeah, decisions, bad decisions, mistakes, there are consequences. But, uh, like, in general, most decisions that you make aren't catastrophic okay so like so i got hurt nine months happened okay i got some surgery things are better now and i learned from it and move on you know most of the injuries or crashes major crashes that i've had were because i hesitated i brake checked before something or i second guessed something at the last minute or I chickened out instead of just committing once the decision was made. That's when you get hurt. That's when, <laughs> you know, that has a consequence. One time I broke my wrist and it was off this uh, road gap. So, you know, you've got a, an elevated bridge on one side of a road and then you land on the other side of the road below it. Uh -huh. So this, this road gap. And I was still pretty new and I decided I was going to hit this road gap. I was following a friend, so the speed the speed check was there. And literally, when I got to the edge of the wooden ramp, I hesitated, and I hit my brakes, and I, I panicked. <laughs> I was not committed. <laughs> and um, it just didn't end well, you know? Like, I slid off sideways, and oh. yeah. Hesitating leads to injury. Well, what, what do you finish the rest of that story? You slid off sideways and. <laughs> and I fell off the end of the ramp and broke my wrist. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. Uh -huh. Those are pretty mountain biking specific, right? Uh -huh. So, I guess more life decisions, they're somewhat similar. For me, I think of it as a series of crossroads. You know, you come to a fork in the road and you have a decision to go left or right. Okay, and you make that decision based on what you know at the time. Very few decisions are catastrophic. Say I picked right, maybe I should have gone left. Like, oh, well, I go to another fork in the road and make another decision. Well, how do you deal with the woulda, shoulda, coulda thoughts? You know, because those things just, man, they just eat me alive sometimes. 
the same. I spend a lot of time thinking about it and telling myself I didn't. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's something I practice a lot. By no means an expert and by no means perfect. What if I just race bikes? Like, how much farther could I have gotten? Okay, I mean... It is what it is. I'm still riding bikes. I still race occasionally. I still get to do media projects, and it's fun. You're saying that decisions have to be made quickly, and whatever the outcome is, those decisions, right or wrong, have to be forgotten just as quickly as they're made. So why? What happens if they're not? Yeah, I think it's an acceptance, right? So you make a mistake or you make a decision. Okay, I make a decision to take line A versus line B, and it's slow. It's slower. Something happens, it's slow, I lose time. I could either spend the next 20 seconds of my race, like, worried about it. Oh, crap, I just lost all this time. Oh, I made the wrong decision. That sucks. Like, what? That doesn't do me any good, right? And in that 20 seconds that I'm worried about the decision I just made and the time that I lost, I could make three other mistakes because I'm not paying attention. I wouldn't say I make any decision casually or flippantly, right? I mean, I'm, I'm very rigorous in my data collection and my analysis of said data. I mean, anything from like which eggs to buy in the grocery store, you know, you look at the, you look at the price. I mean, that, that's data. Those, those are your data points. You can make a decision based on that. Um, to do I hit this 20-foot drop in a race? Eh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, in that case, your data, your data are your ability, the amount of time you have to practice, your comfort level, your confidence. Um, do I have someone I can reliably follow into the feature to gauge my speed? Like every decision has data available. You just have to be able to recognize it and actually use it to form an educated opinion about the situation so that you can make your decision. Aren't we taught from a really young age to be well thought out and methodical and strategic, you know, slow and steady? Is that a bad method? No, not at all. Take a really big life decision. You're getting some slow input of data. Maybe you're doing a little research on your own. Um, But it's still, I mean, you can still take the same sort of approach. You know, you make a strategic decision. You're mitigating risks. You know, is the risk of decision A, is it worth the reward? Is, you know, the higher risk decision B, maybe the reward is higher and maybe the risk is acceptable. I mean, those kinds of decision-making strategies apply no matter the speed of the decision. And being decisive and committing to your decision is also applicable no matter what situation you're in. Well, and so how does race-paced decision-making show up in your work today? Oh, it actually shows up a lot more than it did in research. Uh, you know, we we are consulting firms, so we are client-based. All of our problems come from the client. The client says, we have problem X, you have this much budget, and you have this much time. Solve my problem. So we don't have time to waffle on decisions. You know, we don't have time to do a deep dive in the data ad nauseum, you know, we have to be able to balance research and, you know, data collection. How do you think 
this way of thinking, you know, making decisions at a race pace, how can this help others? I mean, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be a mountain biker. Everybody makes micro decisions like, what am I going to eat for lunch today? What am I going to wear today? What class am I going to take? Or, you know, what continuing education course am I going to take to advance my skill set? Like, they're all micro decisions. So it's just practice. You just decide that you want to get better at it. And so you practice it until you get better at it. I don't like waffling on decisions. I don't like hesitating and getting hurt. <laughs> whatever that, you know, whatever that consequence looks like. I don't like hesitating. I don't like the anxiety it causes to regret a decision or agonize over it. And I like making progress. I have a lot of goals. So for me, like, I can't get from here to there without making decisions. Nobody can. I mean, you could be stagnant. There are probably people out there who are happy being where they are and not changing anything and that's fine that works for them but for me I have these big goals and I want to get there so the decisions are inevitable so if anyone has these goals these places they want to get to they're going to be making these decisions and the idea is you want to just make that decision making process as efficient and as data driven as possible because those are going to be your best decisions. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Ann Gallion, and to learn more about what she's doing, check out our Instagram, at Ann Gallion. If you like today's show, then let your people know about it. You know, Safety Third is kind of like karaoke. By yourself, that's just weird, man. But with a bunch of folks, it's super duper fun. So grab your crew and get weird together. Tell your friends and fam, and always crank the dial to 11. You can find us on Instagram at safety3rd underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safety3rdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Cordelia Zars edited this episode. Additional production help from Eilish O'Neill. Music by my big brother, Brendan. Why do they call it facial hair if it's all on my neck? O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. <laughs>